So how's it going at the Paradox? You're, you, you describe it as like a, a like something people can look into when they're coming in and out of the lobby? Oh my God, it's amazing. Is it? It's like, uh, yeah, the first day I did an interview there, you know, um, I had that studio booth somewhere else. I was renting a space. So you kind of get used to the inside of it. And then I stepped outside and- uh, You mean you have a physical booth that you physically move to the lobby? It's like a freestanding cube. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And- uh, Like so a glass cube? Yeah, there's a glass on either side. And then um, it's just sort of this, so they, they use them, it's called an inbox. So it's actually a local group here who who have these inboxes and people buy them for offices or they want a quiet room or a place to make phone calls. I noticed in your office, you have some sort of quiet spaces. So it's like that, but it's a freestanding space. Cool. So if you don't want to spend money on renovations and building, you know, you can just take, buy these inboxes and then you can dismantle it and move it. So anyways, I have one of these things turned into a podcasting booth and I had it somewhere else in kind of an old building and, um, so when it got moved into the Paradox, the first interview, I, I stepped out of the booth and kind of forgot that I was in Paradox. And it was like this wild feeling of, oh, my God, I forgot I'm in this luxurious, you know, five-star hotel. So um, it's been awesome, man. I've been there for a few months now. And the team is so great. It's so cozy. And uh, it's fun to have people flying in from all over the world coming over and going, what is this thing in the hotel? Like, what's this thing in the lobby? Yeah. They come over and they peek in the glass window and we chat. And yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. And they say this is the Canadian Joe Rogan. There we go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Someone uh, had commented that online saying it's Canadian Joe Rogan. And in the comments, someone had written, he's more like the dollar store Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of look and, like uh, him, right? You got the tats. Right. Because I, mean, I have like, tattoos and uh, yeah. shave my head. It doesn't yeah. mean, but, uh, but actually, that was very funny. Yeah. I appreciate a good, a good burn. So, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> the keyboard cowboys, they can right. be funny once in yeah. a while. I mean, Joe Rogan is, he's like one of the top content creators in the world. There's no way that, uh, not many of us can hold a candle to him. He's, he's pretty, he's a yeah. legend, right? So of course. Yeah. Yeah. But to be, uh, like, you know, to have the comparison drawn is flattering. I think. Well, it was, it was drawn as a hit piece. There's a local website, Vancouver's Awesome, uh -huh. which I've always enjoyed and loved. It's one of the great places where we go and get our info. Um, and he's, so he's in your cheap so knockoff. I'm not sure if it was. Yeah, it was one of the writers from there wrote an article. Kids can become the Canadian uh, Joe Rogan. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. Like, it's disgusting. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, I'm supposed to be <laughs> insulted, but this is the most flattering thing anyone said about me in a year. <laughs> so I took a screenshot of that and I put it in my bio on Instagram, like Canadian Joe Rogan. Yeah. That yeah, was great. So he did you a favor. Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, it was, it was quite funny. Making lemonade out of lemons. That's <sighs> good. Good for him. Mm hmm. I've uh, suffered keyboard cowboys too. They just weren't as funny as that guy. I don't think or had anything that was yeah. of any value to me. Mm -hmm. But your glass box is cool. It reminds me of something I'd forgotten about, but I was an actor for a year um, in my mid twenties. Fabulously exciting year where uh, I played Batman in a television commercial, which nice. was like my favorite part. Wore the foam muscle suit and the special effects, uh, selling some Batman toys. Super fun and some artsy stuff and a few things that paid a little bit okay until two things happened in a week where I quit. Um, the first was I had an audition with uh, Chris Carter, who was a really big deal at the time. He was uh, producing the X-Files and all mm. the hit shows at that time. That's right. And I just bombed it so bad. Um, and I just hated every second of it. Uh, and and I, I left the studio and uh, I was just chatting with the girls on the way out. Like when you say you bombed it. I just bombed the audition. I, I got okay. nervous. I froze. I, gotcha. I just, 
you know, they give you direction, they push you to see how far they can push you. And I just sort of clammed up and it was mm. just, yeah, that, that's what a bomb feels like. Mm. Um, just off my game. And then I was leaving chatting with the girls and there was, and I had to wait while this guy was, I was at Lionsgate studios and this guy was waiting, uh, or no, he's chatting with the girls. I had to wait until he was done. And when he left, I'm like, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, that's Mike or whatever. He comes here every single day to see if there's a part, an audition he could just walk on to that he wasn't invited to even. He's just checking. What are you guys auditioning today? Could I possibly know? Okay. See you tomorrow. And I thought, holy cow, that is dedication. And then within that same week, um, I had a part on a show, um, and, uh, it was a small part. I wasn't even talking and it was like pretty lame. You know, you make like two grand or something and you don't work every day. So it sounds like two grand is good, but it's not. Mm. Um, and I met a guy who was probably my age now on the show and he was doing a comparable part and he was supporting his family on it and all this type of stuff. And I just thought he was a loser. Like I just, it just wasn't like the, I just looked like into my future, like, will I be the same as this guy? Like trying to make stretch two grand into supporting a family at his age and that kind of thing. And, and due to the proximity of those two things, I quit. But what you reminded me of with the glass box was a creative group, very creative sort of artsy group. I did a, a movie with like, that was in festivals, a short film. They had a concept they pitched me on, which sounded bizarre and it never happened, but it sounded so similar. Um, he, uh, they wanted to take a plexiglass box, like a big one and put it on the back of a truck, like a semi truck kind of a thing. So imagine you could see right through it and they liked the way I talked or talked to people or whatever. And they wanted me to interview randoms from the street, like mm. homeless people and just mm. the most interesting, like bizarro people in the world and do it inside this box where they would record it video audio and then people could also see from the outside like what's going on inside this glass box and it was a fascinating concept that i completely forgot about until you told me that wow. you're basically doing it that's cool in a smaller box in a nicer place than yeah. uh <laughs> yeah. the downtown east side or wherever yeah. that was potentially going to go that's so how's the podcast going i'm enjoying it I, I listen i'm a listener i'm a fan thank you before we jump into that i i, I when you talked about the concept of bombing it reminded me of my one and only bomb. And that's when I was at the peak of my, you know, um, you know, the mid two thousands, that era at the beat 94.5 before Instagram was even invented. And like radio was super cool. Um, the Olympics were coming to town and I guess, I guess the end of the two thousands and they wanted MCs on the stage and they wanted people from the community to audition. And I bombed that big time. How? And Tell me what I love it. Go slow. I love oh, the details. Dude, was, Bombs um, are the best. Well, I wasn't used to this whole idea of a cattle call. I'd never, I've never done acting. I've, and you sit, sit in a room with a bunch of other people and there's some guy in the corner doing push-ups, and you know how it is. People are like <laughs> reading their notes and it's very like, I'm like, oh my God, this is intense. I wasn't nervous, but now I am. Yeah, I know it. And I went with my, my co-host near Aurora and we both had to go in separately and I had no, I'd never been to an audition. I had no idea what to expect. Um, I thought they would just interview you and, you know, whatever. And anyways, uh, at that time, I, I ever was always known. I was on billboards. Everyone knew who I was. I, I, I really wasn't expecting to have to do like a song and dance, you know. Um, but again, I don't know. I don't know what these things are like. So I walk into a room and it's very serious. And who's there? And I don't know, like four or five people behind a desk. It's grumpy. I don't even know who they are. Yeah, grumpy. <laughs> and they just say, um, okay, you're about to, you've got to kill five minutes of time it's pouring rain before the next act comes on stage 
What do you say? Oh, that's tough. And I just... Yeah, no prep the, for that. What the fuck are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah. Like, it was... Uh, no, I, I had no idea. And I just... I, I opened my mouth and I had an out-of-body experience. <laughs> and I have no idea what I said. Hey, guys, is everyone having a... <laughs> I, was like, I was on mushrooms or something suddenly. And, uh, and I just... That feeling haunted me, though, for weeks afterwards. Nira got the gig. She did. <laughs> yeah. So my face is on billboards. I host a number one radio show in Vancouver, and I'm not allowed to go on stage and introduce like the next band at a, at, a, at an event for the Olympics. It was it was awful, and I that just again it haunted me for so long. So I had a lot of respect for people that that are in that hustle who do auditions, and it is a beast that I was not built for. Yeah, you know, it's a tough one, and I mm-hmm. ultimately decided any line of work that whole whole bunch of people would would do for free because they just want it so bad was never going to pay that well or mm-hmm. as a long shot or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus the challenge I had was um, just being like six foot five and dark. And I kind of got cast in, in like leading man type of stuff where frankly the competition was too stiff. Mm-hmm. I'd go into these auditions and, and, and there was like 25 guys that looked just like me, but better looking and just right. better. And I was like, oh, God. I find that hard to believe, to be honest, Cam. Oh, thank you. But, uh, uh or, or the classic was like uh, another car commercial. I'm like, come on. I make this car look like a compact. Like what? nobody wants me. <laughs> the one wants to see a giraffe, like awkwardly climbing in and out of a car. Like I'm just the wrong person for this. I don't even know why I'm here. Oh man. You would have been much more successful if you were short and look like me. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? Honestly. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's exactly. <laughs> but it's funny you say that because so many of the actors um, that I've like the really famous ones that I've anyone famous that I've met over the years has always been smaller hmm. than what I expected. I think that there's something about the camera. Um, the proportions of, of smaller people look better on film. They move better or there's something about seeing them on the big screen that in your mind, you know, expands your sort of hmm. perception of, of who they actually physically are. But um, yeah, you would, you would, uh, you would have been, very good actor. Yep. <laughs> <Think> so. <laughs> if you could just get to talk in front of if a... If I could get past the audition stage, maybe. <laughs> but how are you yeah. so good at radio? I mean, you are such a household name. Like, you are just own morning radio. I've, I have I listened to you for so many years. Everybody knows your name. Like, what do you think was it about your game that made you so successful in radio? Um, I mean, I even get uncomfortable hearing that because I don't... Um, uh, How can you? There's so many radio personalities out there, and you're the, the biggest. I had a great, fant- I had an amazing career, an amazing career. And I, and I think, I mean, when I got into it, I just wanted to be cool. I just wanted How to be How old were like, you when you started? Like, what was the, how really, did you start? Really young, I guess. Um, maybe like 20, you know, 19, 20, I think. And, you know, I, I went to Humber College in Toronto and took radio broadcasting and sent out, God, it was cassette, cassette tape at the time. He sent out a demo tape to like 100 radio stations and no one even replied except for one station who bothered to reply with a nice note in the mail that said, hey, thanks for applying. It was a form letter. But, you know, we'll keep your application on file for the next six months. And I was so freaking excited. It was Shay. It was Shay FM in Barrie, Ontario, who bothered to reply. Um, and I still have the letter saved. I'm a nerd that way. I have it saved. I was, I was so thrilled that I was acknowledged, um, by someone. Cause I just wanted to be in radio since I was a little kid. Cause he listened to it. He thought it was cool. Oh my God. Yeah. Like it was, man, I was a kid listening to Tarzan Dan and like, uh, 
you know, a, a big station where I grew up in Toronto was uh, Energy 108. It was like, Wayne Williams, six foot four from the floor. Energy radio. <laughs> like, like to find the party dog. Rawr, 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 rawr. Read all these different, like, people that, like, they were, like, in my mind, like, gods. And uh, to the point, we, we were such nerds that my friend and I were like, do you want to drive to the radio station tonight? And go there and knock on the window and they'd give us radio, like, stickers and, you know, bumper stickers and the whole thing. I just, I, I love radio. I still do. I'm very passionate about radio. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Um, but I get into it because it was like, cool. Like everyone listened to the radio and I wanted to be one of the cool guys. And, um, did you have a good voice at that time? Like, were oh, you no, it was no, no, just no, not at all. Um, very squeaky. And at the time it was all about having big boomy radio voices. Um, anyways, I got into to radio. Uh, I, I tried to be like the cool guy and it, that worked for a little while. And then I, I realized that the, the true power in connecting with people was to be vulnerable. And when I unlocked that, that's when my career just took off. Uh, so I wasn't trying to be cool. It was going you on Stop trying to be cool. Yeah, stop trying to be cool and talk about the, the date you got stood up on last night or the embarrassing thing that happened to you. Or, you know, so I developed this, this real ability to sort of suspend reality. And I sort of teach myself that, okay, they're listening to the radio. They're, I'm kind of like a character in a TV show to them. They don't really know me. And so I would sort of suspend reality, which gave me the confidence to tell the, the truth about certain things. And, you know, it got me in trouble sometimes. Like I, I got a booty call voicemail one night and from a drunk girl going, hey, come over. And I played that on the air. And we got like a cease and desist order within like an hour. And from her? Yeah. She called the station and was like, I'm going to sue your asses. You know, uh, I would never say their names, but you know, it was just. That's funny. Whatever I was living at the time, I would want to share with my audience because I was, I was living that, you know, I was in my mid, early mid twenties, a single and doing all sorts of stupid stuff and. Thank God there wasn't Instagram at that time, but I would share it through the theater of, of the mind, you know, through the radio. And it was kind of fun. It was, um, they call it serial content where people would want to come back the next morning to hear what happened. And so we would tell the story of whatever we're going through, whatever books I was reading, whatever things I was really into, I would uh, share my journey with, with the audience. And so. What did you learn yeah. about how to share a story? Like how to have something happen and how to, how to share it with people in a way that were only listening that, that made it good for them? I don't know. Just the vulnerability, just the honesty of it, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know how I, I, I honestly don't even know. I mean, before I was on morning radio, I would, you know, do like the weekend shift or the nighttime show. And you would only talk in like 15 or 20 second bursts between songs. Now that I really studied very hard. I would listen to every DJ in LA and New York and all the big markets in Chicago. And I would obsessively stream and listen to these DJs and how they would try to send a message in 20 seconds. And they so would, what are the takeaways from that? How do you get a message through in 20 seconds? Uh, you don't even speak in, in full sentences. Interesting. You just sort of punch the words like just pop, pop, pop. Yeah. Pop, pop, pop Saturday night. Crazy. See you there. <laughs> Boom. And then you, you stop and then this, the artist starts singing or the, the vocal comes in. And so, um, you know, you would do these contests. You wouldn't go on the air and say, hey, would you like to win some tickets to the movie? Well, why don't you listen at seven o'clock and we're going to give you a chance to call up and win. You would never say that. You go, you would just use like four or five words and punch the words. Want to win? Damn right. Seven o'clock. Listen, B94.5. Ah, you know, yeah. you sort of punch the, the words instead of 
talking in full sentences, which is sort of a lost art now because I feel like I listen to the radio and people are just sort of punching the words still. No, they're just talking like they're reading a sentence. Oh, the, the punchy a, words are lost yeah, art. Yeah. Probably just as well. <laughs> it reminds me though, like, I, it, like here you talk like that. It doesn't even sound like uh, proper talking. It was just mm. like, it sounds so strange. And it reminds me of a friend of mine who wrote a book that sold a million copies about how to pick up girls. And, and he, he, the way he did it, it became the way that he made money. He showed people how to write books really easily. And it basically was, you just talk your book into a recording, you have it uh, transcribed. Mm. And what reminded me of that was he said, you wouldn't believe how different the words you say are when you're talking versus when you're writing or reading something that's written, because it it's honestly, when you actually read what you said, it's just like gobbledygook. You like you repeat yourself, you're talking circular patterns. It doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, and ultimately when it's written and then edited properly and then, and then fixed up and finished, it changes substantially. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how like we talk in a way that you would assume is the same as the way you'd read a book, or yeah. you can talk in a 20 second punchy sort of comment thought stream. Yeah. that sounds ridiculous when you really think about how it's being said. Yeah. But now that I'm sitting here, it's sort of, it's funny. You asked me that question and I said, I don't know. And now that I'm, my thoughts are now coming to my head. I, I do realize there is certain skills that you uh, try to implement when you're talking on the radio. For example, you're trying to make everything relatable to everyone. So if I'm telling a story of something that happened to me, I'm trying to relate it to everyone. So, it, you know, even though it's not happening to you, you can relate to, oh yeah, that reminds me of something that happened to me. So um, you also try to talk to, even though there are maybe, you know, hundreds of thousands of people listening or a million and a half people listening you, you talk as if you were talking to one person in their car alone. And you sometimes visualize that. Um, instead of visualizing that you're talking to a million people, it can be very intimidating. Totally. Um, it's a weird job, Radio, because when you start out before you're you know, a part of an ensemble uh, cast, you are literally a guy in a room by yourself talking to yourself, <laughs> trying to make it sound like you're at a party. You know, yeah. if you're like the nighttime DJ on a radio station, hey, yeah. hey, everybody, you're by yourself. It's actually kind of a crazy thing. How do you do it? How do you get your energy up to make it sound like you're at a party when you're literally alone? I used to drink a lot of like Red Bull. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I <know? bet. laughs> Burnt my adrenal glands. I bet. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's a weird skill to have. Yeah. Well, you were good at it. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Do you miss it? Yeah, I do. I, I do. I love radio. I really do. Podcasting is another beast because I love to interview people. Yeah. So now I get the chance to do something like this where it's long form, which is a real adjustment because on the radio you interview someone and it's like, uh, you get 10 minutes max and maybe there's a song in between that 10 minutes to break it up. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's different, but I love the connecting with people. Why do you love radio? I mean, it sounds like you always did since you were a kid and that, that never went away. Yeah. I love the idea. I mean, I'm a spiritual guy. I think we're spiritual beings having a human experience and I love the idea of a collective consciousness. And I, I love the idea of a bunch of people all thinking the same thoughts at the same time. And the thing that's cool about radio, the podcast doesn't have is that live you're driving down the street, it's live and you can be in this happened to me so many times you're in the car and you start to laugh and you look at the car next to you and they're, they're laughing, laughing and you're yeah, going, but they're fucking good. listening to the same shit I'm listening to. Oh. And there's something magical about that. And I think we're hardwired to, to connect with each other. And so I love that. Podcasting's amazing, but we're all doing it at our own pace, at our own time. So radio is uh, yeah, special I, like that for me. Thanks for that. Cause I remember liking it and that's, 
that reminds me of what I liked about it, mm -hmm. but I don't anymore. Like mm -hmm. I, I got in my car, I drive a Tesla and I, and we got in the car earlier today and somehow Tesla's sometimes just lose their mind. And, and we got in the radio came on and it made me angry. <laughs> it did. I was like, what is this? And why are they talking like this? Yeah. I just wanted it off yeah. instantly. I yeah. really didn't like it. And I forgot. Um, that's sort of all the radio stations have been bought up by like three or four companies. Is that, and they're just running them cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Sounds and like it. It's, I know it's awful. Makes it's me so sad. Bad. Makes me sad because I, I love radio. So I genuinely, my heart breaks for yeah. the medium. Yeah. Tell me how it felt when it ended, you know, when you were as big as you were in radio and, um, and I feel like you were having, there was shit going on in the world that you want to talk about and you were curtailed. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of COVID stuff, mandatory testing and, and, yeah. and uh, sorry, vaccination and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and that was like a no go, um, probably from the ownership. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed to be a media wide thing, mainstream anyways. Yeah. Outside the mainstream, it was uh, massively talked about. But what made me pop on the radio all those years is being controversial. Part of my shtick was that everyone who listened to me knew that I was into conspiracy theories and I hammed that up and I always told my, you know, 9-11 was an inside job and I loved all that stuff. I mean, I, I would say it with a twinkle in my eye and, uh, and I would even talk about some of the conspiracy theories that aren't even obviously that weren't true, but it was fun. And so I, I could always imagine the audience in their cars, go, rolling their eyes going, oh, fuck, here goes kid again, but, but loving it at the same time. And so w when it came to, you know, talking about this stuff and suddenly it was, I was getting this hard wall where you can't talk about anything that might be, you know, against the, the government narrative. I'm like, well, you know who you hired. I've been talking about this stuff for 15 years. Like about, the government's going to do this and ha ha waka waka waka. And now why is it weird for me now to go on and say, Hey guys, these, these like QR passports, these passports, like, they're in China, they're connecting them to your bank account. And like this, this, this isn't just a convenient way to hold a, a vaccine passport. It's actually like going down the road to a social credit score system. It could. And then me being told you're, you're acting too crazy. Don't talk about that on the air. And I'm like, what's the, what's the, what, what? It was weird that I couldn't do that or that I couldn't go on my morning show and have two different sides of the story. Like my number one job is to get ratings, is to get people glued to the radio and to want to know what's going to happen next. Why would you not want to have someone who's pro-vaccine, someone who's anti-vaccine, battling it out on the air? And like, who cares what side you're on? It really doesn't even matter. Like, I have friends who are on both sides of everything. So, but why not create some, a circus on the air and have some fun with it? <laughs> fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why? Is, but with the fact that I wasn't allowed to even go there, um, it started to make me feel very, like if you're a creative person and someone says, you can't talk about something. It feels like um, someone's strangling you, you know? And then it's usually, and, and bosses in radio are normally dicks. Yeah. And so you're letting some dick tell you what you can't say. Yeah. And it starts to make you go, you start to lose respect for that guy. And then you start to lose respect for yourself because now you're not <laughs> speaking your truth. And then you're like, man, I feel like a real, let me dig my own grave. Let me go on the air and say a bunch of stuff and let the audience decide whether they want to tune out. You know, when you talk about your, 
the manager being a dick. I picture in that movie, The Office, where remember the manager that would come over and lean over the cubicle and have his coffee cup and be like, so, uh, kid, about your show there, we're... <laughs> Probably not going to be talking about anything to do with vaccines yeah. from now on or, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Or ever again. Well, there he is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's who I picture when you say that. That's really what it is. Yeah. You know, at most radio stations. You finish your show so, and then there's that guy <laughs> yeah. wants to talk to you about what you said. They call in an air check and they sit down with you and they go over that day's topics. And like, I'm just, I'm kind of got past that. I'm like, I don't need... A guy who has never coached a winning team before. And I'm really a big believer in coaching, having mentors, being coached. But if you're a creative person, you need to have the right coach or the right mentor, not just anyone, you know. So if you're not matched up with the right person, uh, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. No doubt. Yeah. So did it come on quickly or was it like a lot of talking to's and then a don't do that one more time? And I understand there was a, there was a rant at one point, which I didn't hear. Mm. Um, but what was it? Tell me, what did you say in the rant that, uh, sort of blew it all up? Well, it, it led up over a few months. So, um, again, it, things were getting so heated and so crazy. And the weird thing was that everything that was happening again, none of it was being said in mainstream which was bizarre. And it really started for me because I would, I went to interview people for my show at one of the, like, I don't know, freedom rallies or marches or whatever. It was like uh, outside the hospital. And I went there and I went to interview people. And then the next day, all the mainstream was saying, painting this picture as if it was a, they're blocking ambulances and screaming at nurses. And it was like this horrible thing. And I was there and I know none none of that happened. And I went, oh my God, this is bizarre. Like at first it was one news organization that reported it that way. Then there was another blog website, like Daily Hive reported it like that. Then another one did. And I started, and I, I was there. So, and they're like hundreds of people stormed the hospital or whatever. There were like 10,000 people there with a peaceful protest, Vancouver police doing an epic job, keeping everyone like moving and keeping traffic flowing. I just, I was so stunned that it was so wrongly reported that I started to get really like feeling queasy, like, okay, who decides what the narrative is for the story for this event? And also why, like and why we all know the big pharma's driving the whole thing, but yeah. how does that funnel down to that manager guy at the radio saying, don't talk about this or the way that the media interpreted those protests? I don't get the direct, I don't see the direct connection. I think it's easy with blogs and websites and news like like CBC and what all the different channels global. I think that's a top down thing. I think I don't think the radio stations are that sophisticated in that way. I think it's more like whoever your boss is sort of looks at. Well, there's three companies or four companies on all the radio stations. So at that point, they just decide. Well, the news is saying this. We don't want to turn off any audience members. So just tell your. They send an email to all the managers. Don't talk about this stuff, and then they enforce it. Uh, more of it. More of out of fear, you know. Of repercussions fear of sponsors are going to pull Boy, money yeah. you know the, the radio is hurting so you know so terribly as people move into digital spaces and advertising and podcasts and all this other stuff that they're afraid that all everyone's going to uh pull their money yeah um but i think i think if one radio station had have stepped up and said we're gonna maybe like i said have both sides and have have debates and have all this other, I think they could have been number one instantly because everyone would have wanted to hear, even if you didn't agree, 
with the... I totally agree. Yeah. What I don't understand is, you know, you were at that protest, 10,000 people peacefully mm -hmm. demonstrating, the police nailing it. Um, I just don't understand why the media... Uh, portrays it differently. Is it because it's just more interesting if, if there's people, sounds like people are, are interrupting ambulances and that kind of thing? Is that why? Or is it that they have, like I've heard that CNN's advertising revenue, the majority of it's from Big Pharma. Mm -hmm. And so obviously they have a, a mandate uh, yeah. of what to talk about, what not to, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, 90% of the world's media is owned by like one or two companies. Yeah. So it's, I don't know how, I mean, it's very, Ugh. I mean, you can watch four hour documentaries on it on YouTube and you can just go down the rabbit hole and you yeah. can be like, oh my God, um, who knows how it really works? Like, I don't know. It's fascinating. Um, but I know it's not cool what's going on. No, that's sure. not cool. Yeah. Cause that sounds true. And it probably is if we were to look into it and it's pretty gross because then you've got big pharma talking to their one or two buddies and leading the media world, creating a message and instructions that trickle down all the way down to Vancouver hospital, peaceful protest. I, I you know, it's just so bizarre to me. Mm. But like, like daily hive, which was the first blog to come out and say this story that, that, that I was there at the, they were harassing nurses and, and I'm like going, okay, the protest was about, and I'd never been to one before. I'm like, the protest was in support of nurses who were being fired for not getting the jab. That was the point of the protest. And then it, the next morning they say, people showed up to harass nurses and block ambulances. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so weird. And then you, you look into it. I found the list where the liberals gave daily hive half a million dollars that year. And I'm like, and then on all the other, every little, every little mom and pop free magazine that you'd see like in a newsstand on the corner or whatever, or all these little blogs and cable TV shows that you think no one watches. They all got big checks from the government that year. And so I, in my head, I'm going, oh, my God, if you're getting a check for half a million dollars, um, oh, there's me on the screen. <laughs> look how happy I look. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I'm going, if you're getting half a million dollars, you obviously don't want to piss that person off who writes that check for the next year um, because you didn't go along with whatever the government was saying. By the way, what's funny about that, that photo you're showing, is this going to be a video podcast? No. No? Okay. Just describe it if you can. Okay. So you're, well, you're pulling up a photo of me smiling. Um, at the protest that we're talking about, I look again. I look so happy and <laughs> so happy to be there. Um, I was someone emailed me or DM me on Instagram and said uh, basically threatened that they were going to release this picture of me there um, from the Daily Hive, one of the staff there, and I was like, okay, like I was there. <laughs> I'm like, why well, don't get the threat? Well, it was, um, what do they want you to do or I'm else? a radio, I'm a public personality who was mixing with these oh, dangerous, shouldn't have been there, kid. misogynistic, racist, whatever, um, harassers. And, yeah. and I was like, so you, you kind of panic a little bit. So I replied and said, Hey, I was just there to interview some people. I regret even responding, but I'm like, I was just there to interview some people for my show. And they said, well, we look forward to hearing those on the air. <laughs> and it was like, I was like, Oh, I was like, shake, kind of shaken. <laughs> and creepy. the next day, the news, um, or even that night, the news said, people harassing nurses, blah, blah, blah. And my, my, my boss texted me and said, don't say on the air tomorrow morning that you were there. We don't want anyone to know that you were there. And um, so then anyways, when I was eventually fired, Daily Hive did release this photo of me. And I'm like, 
I'm like, that is the nicest picture of me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Maskless in a crowd. That was a really like at the time, this was a really evil thing to do. Appear in a crowd without a mask. Um, anyways, it's just so funny what we've been through. It and, is. Uh, how people have, you know, been so weird. And Dealey Hive, listen, man, like, uh, got lots of love for them. They got some great people there, but you know, listen, we're just having some fun. I'm not here to attack Daily Hive. They're doing their thing. Um, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, they put no good pictures of you and comparing you to one of the top content producers in the entire world. So. Right. Yeah. Vancouver is awesome. Was responsible for that. Oh yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. it's crazy. It's, it is, um, it's interesting to me that, uh, that you were doing the same thing that made you successful, being authentic, talking about real stuff and juicing up the entertaining sort of stuff mm -hmm. for, for so many years. And then, and then one day it was like, not this topic. Yeah. This one's a no go. Yeah. It was funny because other DJs at the radio station I was uh, most recently at, they were on the air making fun of people who didn't want to wear masks or didn't want to get vaccinated. So it goes one way. Right. They were literally like, calling them names on the air. Like what? Just, you know, all That's the horrible. Name. I forget. Oh, Anti-masker? Anti-masker. That's the one I remember. You know, yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of versions <laughs> like that. And I was like, okay. And, but calling them like idiots, like saying these, these, these morons. And, and I'm like, okay, well that, that's, Hey, listen, this is radio. Let's, let's beef it up with some, but allow me to go on and have two people on calling each other names and have some fun, you know? It was very one-sided. Yeah, one-way street. Not and the thing is, street. too, in media, in every other avenue, it's like we always want to make sure that all portions of the population are represented. Yeah. Whether it's your, you know, political belief or your your race or your, you know, whatever it is, your gender, everyone's represented. And I love that. I love inclusivity. I'm all for it. So why was this one point of view not allowed to be included? It almost, as much as people now feel like mainstream media is bullshit for the most part, there is a lot of validation you feel when you see your opinion represented. So I, that's what, at the end, I'm like, I got to say something. No one is saying anything like, Hey guys, maybe it's not right that, um, some dads can't take their son to go see Spider-Man because they don't have a vaccination like, or we can't fly or leave the country or like all, there were all these different rules where coming off the heels of a really good stretch, uh, years of the message being support small business inclusivity. It was like a really, before COVID, we were in this really great comfortable zone of like all supporting each other and didn't matter who you were and what you want to identify as. And it was just this whole big love fest. And then suddenly COVID hits and we start, it becomes so incredibly divisive that some people aren't allowed to leave the country. Some people can't go for dinner. Some people can't go to a movie. Some people now can't go to the gym anymore. And we were all okay with it. And I was like, this is fucking bullshit. After what we've all been celebrating for the last how many years now we're just getting angry at our own family members. And I really just felt like it was by design because people are, we are creatures of love, you know, in our natural state. But I felt like we were being fed this information to, to kind of fuel a bunch of shit and, really? and divisiveness. And I'm like, this is, that's how I, that's my take on it. I think it was economic. Um, like there's, there's tens okay. of billions and billions of billions for sure been made hundred percent. So I do. the divisive agenda, is that part of it? You know, is it easier to, to lead and, and manage a population of people that are divided? Probably. I mean, just in general, the whole thing works on if we feel less than, we want to go buy shit to make ourselves feel good with everything. 
Uh-huh. If you feel like, so I think that that's been played against us for since the beginning of everything. I think this was just sort of an amplified version of it. You know, if you don't feel like you're sexy enough, you're going to go buy the cool shit to be sexy or whatever it is, the watch, the makeup, the cars, all that stuff, you know, it seems to be a, I kind of feel like this COVID thing, and this is where people can get crazy or think that I'm crazy is, was, a was run by people who really understand human psychology and spent a lot of money knowing how to manipulate people. Maybe just for economic gain, maybe for other things too. I think it's a mix of a bunch of different things. You know, it's fear, fear mongering, but fear mongering. Yeah, for sure. Fear based people that are fearful, Mm -hmm. much easier to control. There's no doubt about that. And so the fact that no one was even mentioning that there's a bit of fear mongering going on, the people who, the people who could recognize it and feel like that they're being like taunted or shamed or, and no one is saying anything. You start to feel like, man, am I crazy? Like, am am I crazy? Am I the only one that feels this way? And then that leads to people to depression, isolation. Um, you know, I felt crazy uh, at some points, but then I go on the air and I said something and it was like tens of thousands of people. I've still not been able to get back to all the DMS of people saying, Oh my God. Like an ex- classic typical message was, I thought I was going crazy until I heard someone validate how I've been feeling for the last couple of years. Like, thank you for saying something. And that was the rant day. That was the rant day. So for months yeah. there, there'd been warnings. You kind of knew it was a no go zone. And on that day, did you, did you snap? Did you say, fuck it? I'm just going to like say what I, I got to say and whatever, let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. Or, or was it accidental? And you're like, you just sort of went on a bit of a rabbit hole down a rabbit hole of thought. No, I knew exactly what I was going to do. Did, eh? I knew what I was going to say before you said it, before I said it. Yeah. What did you say? Um, well, it's episode, well, is it episode one of my podcast? I can't, if something to the effect of, is it episode like one a, of your podcast? I think so. Yeah. It's yeah. the Kid Carson show mm-hmm. available Spotify and everywhere. Yeah. I will I, check I it out. I'm just, I basically just said, guys, like if you don't see, it's actually, it's actually interesting that I can't remember exactly what I said. Not exactly, but, but what was but the like, message? Like, um, for example, like when the, when the Ottawa thing was happening and that was painted as a bunch of racists in Ottawa, it clearly, if you look past what the CBC said or global or the mainstream channels, if it clearly was not a bunch of racists trying to overthrow the government, that was just a made up story so that you would, you know, poo poo on the whole thing. And it worked for a lot of people. I mean, hey, man, I grew up watching the regular news. I believed everything I saw. Yeah, This was a wake-up call for a lot of Canadians and people around the world, actually. That's why it inspired so many other types of um, movements across the globe. So, guys, if you really think that it's a bunch of racists in Ottawa, like, trying to take over the government, like, you, you've been tricked. Yeah. Like, you've been tricked. We've all been tricked. I get it. It doesn't feel good. But it was that sort of, you know... It doesn't seem that bad. Well, I mean, it was a little longer than that. <laughs> it was a one hour version of that. It was a, a good six or maybe seven minutes of, you know, it's just the idea. I think I even talked about like, guys, we were coming off the heels of inclusivity. And now here we are, you know, dividing people up so severely that um, some people can't even go for dinner and other people can. Like, it was just madness, everything that was going on. The fact that you could you know, sit at your table without a mask, but stand up and you got to put your mask on. It was like, Oh, (laughs) that one foot makes a difference. It was just, there were so many examples like that where it's like, guys, this is just, um, but we just, we're human beings who we tend to, it's a survival thing. We, it's better if we're like with the group, 
You know, we stay with the clan. We, uh, it's better for survival. We share resources. We don't want to be excluded. Our brain, when we are excluded from the group, it actually registers in our brain as if it's like physical pain. So we don't want to question things. We just want to do what everyone's doing. And we get caught up, I think. And we got a little too caught up the last couple of years. I don't. You know? I don't want that. Yeah, yeah. But I think that you're speaking of the majority, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder, just having a chuckle there about, you know, how, how f- there's some funny material in there. Like, I mean, this idea that you can catch COVID standing up and not sitting down the plexiglass partition between you and, and the next table or, or you yeah. and that person eliminating the possibility they might spit directly into your mouth or something mm. like that, I yes. guess. <laughs> I wonder if anybody's developed any good parody on this. Like if there's any good material out there where, or is it too soon? Oh, where, there, no, there's tons. Oh there? my God, there's tons. There's some great comedians and they were a lifesaver for a lot of people. And you see, see their followings on Instagram. I go, wow, this person has like you know, a million followers. Um, I can't think of their names, but there are people who had to lift a lot of people out of a dark place over the last couple of years. Yeah. So, and thank God for. You need to send yeah. a couple of those to yeah, me when you find them. There, there are some uh, good ones out there. <laughs> I need a couple of laughs. There's, I actually haven't seen them and there's got to be some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. My but wife again, and hey. I would always have a good, good laugh about it. It wasn't, it was not funny lots of the time, mm-hmm. but um, we both got vaccinated because of her parents and my dad, mm-hmm. you know, my dad, he lost his wife and he listens to uh, CNN from morning till night for mm-hmm. company, yeah. friends with the people talking, you know, it's, this is his world and his line of thinking and, uh, um, and, and her parents were the same. And to them, uh, it was absolutely absurd not to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they wouldn't be able to see us or the grandkids and all it got real personal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we each got double jabbed and none of the boosters and stuff, just enough to travel and, and, and maintain a bit of a life. Yeah. Did you avoid it? I avoided it. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't easy. Yeah. I bet. Um, Traveling was not easy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like judgment Yeah, from people. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it's awful to feel like made like you're the crazy person. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, Hey man, like I have friends who are jabbed up friends who aren't like everyone should just be able to make their own choice though. That's, that's, yeah. that's the thing. Is there anything you know? more personal than that? Right. Yeah. What but you stick in your own body. And people would ask you like the fact that everywhere you went, people would ask you straight point blank. And that was uncomfortable. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. We, and, yeah. and trying to explain it to your kids too. That was the worst, you know, trying to explain to them why we can't go a certain place. And, uh, yeah, man, it was heartbreaking. I didn't have that much trouble explaining it. My kids are, how old are your kids? Nine? Five, nine, and 18. Probably. My stepdaughter is 18. Nice. Um, yeah, mine are 12 and seven now. Um, but yeah, we talked to them about it from day one. Our kids, we adopted our kids and we talked to them about adoption from day one and, and, uh, and about this issue and, yeah, it actually went pretty good. I didn't have, have too much trouble with it, but mind you, um, you know, we saved our kids from, from getting jabbed, but, mm. uh, since we were, Let we did save them, save them, we saved them. <laughs> well, I say saved because I think that there's going to be some health consequences down the road, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, that are going to be talked about a lot. And I hope there's not, I hope I'm completely okay. wrong about that, but I fear that there is, but right, yeah. anyways, we saved them and, and they, um, but because we were, we did maintain a bit of a life. Certainly you suffered more, uh, because you, you just couldn't do things for a bit of time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Movies, restaurants, travel. Yeah. And when you're in it, you start to think, you don't imagine things bouncing back to how they are now. Yeah. You start to feel like, okay, is this just the new norm forever? 
And like, am I just never going to go to a restaurant again? Or well, some people are keeping masks yeah. at our event today. Uh, several people wore masks and I respect it. You know, I, mm. I bought something off somebody at Linden Drugs who stood behind a shield and wore a mask the whole time. Yeah. And I, I feel, um, I respect their decision and I feel, I don't want to say bad cause that's like, I'm looking down on them, but I feel a little bit sad that they're so full of fear, mm-hmm. um, that they choose to live that way. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that was a little bit funny was, uh, when we were in restaurants and the servers would wear it and I can see in people's eyes and I talked with some of them, even that they, they kind of liked it, you know, and in some ways it's kind of relaxing. Like you get to hide a little bit, right. And imagine right. you're a server and you're professionally smiling all day, even when you don't feel like it. And now you don't, you mm-hmm. just have the mask on mm-hmm. and the eyes don't hide it, but it's a little bit different. It's like, here's your stuff. Okay. I'm all, you know, I'm not, I'm not smiling. You can tell by my voice, but my eyes and it's frankly easier for yeah. me. I like it. I flew on a plane a couple of days ago and a young girl sat beside me and, and, uh, had a nice chat with her. It's always a little bit awkward chatting with people on a plane. You don't want to be annoying. Right. So I mm-hmm. generally ask people, uh, if they're headed home or away. And I get a sense from their response whether they want to talk or not, right? Yeah. And it's good for a short chat. And I like the short chat and then no more chat. That's my ideal because right. you sort of like eliminate any sort of awkward tension. Oh, we talked for a minute or two and <laughs> we're done now. And now we can exactly. just relax. And then when we were done, uh, and it was, a, it was a nice chat, young girl, she, and I say young girl because it kind of surprised me when she threw a mask on. Hmm. I was like, okay, interesting. Hope it's not me. You know, it's hmm. just a personal decision. And then I had a chuckle when, and I saw value in this and I kind of get it. Um, she, it, this was a six and a half hour flight from Miami and against the wind. And it's just a long flight And 15 minutes after we were like off the ground and she was a tall girl with a long neck and she threw her head all the way back, <laughs> all the way back out cold, you know, sound asleep. And her long neck, her long giraffe neck was arched and curled so far back and her head was facing the ceiling. And I'm thinking if that girl isn't wearing a mask right now, like her mouth is hanging, <laughs> like it is for sure, like 15 centimeters open. Maybe that's why she wears it. hundred percent right? why she wears it. And I get it because when I had to wear it on a plane, it's a little bit relaxing. You can just sleep and not worry about what your mouth is doing. Yeah, you just know, have right? a little bit more privacy. Yeah. I like to wear a toque on a plane sometimes because yeah. it keeps you warm and you can rest your head a little easier. And then you pull it down and cover your eyes. And between that, the mask, it was like, I'm out. Yeah. But some people are still doing it. Yeah. It was always weird. Like we all had that moment where you're walking to the grocery store or Whole Foods or whatever, and you realize you don't have your mask and like you're trying to cover your face in some weird way, pulling your shirt up, yeah. putting your face in your armpit or whatever you had to do in the moment. And yeah. the, the sense of panic where you think everyone around you is going to be like, Oh my God, you're like, you're a vampire or something like all these little weird mask moments that we've had have been something yeah. else. Something yeah. special. <laughs> yeah. There's gotta be some funny material about it. Yeah. So tell me about like, I enjoyed hearing about the rant and mm. tell me about getting fired after like, it's your career. Like, was it, was it, did you know it was happening? I mean, you, you said you planned on saying, you decided to say what you had to say and did you know that was going to happen or were you, I was pretty sure something like that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. By the time the, the rant was over, you know, if you've been to a radio station, they have like, um, usually a tiny little window in the door and a very thick soundproof door. And so the, the tiny window is usually this almost the size of a human face. So when I glanced up at the door, I could see my boss, actually my boss's boss 
his face just smushed up against the clash, <laughs> staring at me, filling up the entire space and uh, just looking at me. And, you know, they always waiting. I waved him in. And he just opened the door and said, hey, do you uh, want to meet in my office? <laughs> it, for those listening that don't know, I've been to a radio station and they're always pumping the radio through the station. Like everybody's listening to the show when it's on. So you're saying what you're saying and he's gathered. Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't like, unplug me. Yeah. So, yep. I'm like, yes, sure. I'll come to your office. And I just started looking around the room and I'm like picking up my headphones and grabbing everything that I know I'm never going to be in this room again. That's my favorite pen. That's my, I've got all my things in my hand and I carry them all like, uh, down to his office. And, and that was, that was it. And they got me on the phone with the, the head big boss in Toronto. Like right then at the end of the show. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was it. Was it mutual yeah. or was it, was it just a peer firing? Oh no, I didn't want to leave. Yeah. I love, I love radio. Yeah. I love it. You know? And, but oh, I can admit that it's good to admit but, that, but I also want to be able to feel free to, to share my opinion with my audience. Well, you are now, you know? Yeah. Maybe it'll be the best thing ever. I love podcasting. It's great. Yeah. But there is a sense of being a part of a team and I mean, radio right now is, is a, it's like a dinosaur and it's dying slowly. And that makes me sad because I grew up with radio and it's just, it's become a weird thing. It's struggling financially every year. It's going down, down, down. They're syndicating more and more shows across all the stations to save money, so they hire less people. And it's just, they don't have money to do the fun things that I got to experience at some of the big radio stations I got to work at in Toronto and in, at the beat in Vancouver over the years, where they would had money. They were making money. They were doing fun events, doing cool stuff. And it was, it was amazing. Now they're not. Everything's run so cheap. And so, um, but, but I love the fact that, and I, th I think it could be brought back. I really, if some radio station had a pair of nuts on them, it could really bring back something cool, especially for the slightly older demo. Um, and I have my thoughts on the format. I have a, almost a radio station in my mind that would be a number <laughs> one, but it's, I'm not telling you what that is. My secret, in case anyone ever gives me a chance. But that idea of being a part of a team and you're, 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 I, I like that. I like being in a team. In a podcast, you're doing everything yourself. Everything's solo. And that's cool. I get to meet cool people, but I love and miss, you know, staff meetings and staff parties and walking down and talking with the salespeople and hanging out with the promotions department. And that was brainstorming ideas in a big group. Like I, I, I do, I did really love that. I get that. Yeah. yeah. I love, yeah. I love working in teams too. Mm -hmm. It's the best. Yeah. And it's, uh, I love designing teams where the whole is truly greater than the sum of the parts and, and the magic and the energy and mm -hmm. developing the values that make that team really successful. It's the best. Mm -hmm. It's the best part of life. Yeah. The human interaction part. Yeah, for sure. There's a community in podcasting though. That's very supportive and, uh, and good. Maybe yeah. that can replace it. Mm -hmm. What else do you have going on besides the Kid Carson show? I've got, um, I had some businesses reach out to me and ask me if I would interview them just for them just to have. And I did. And it was a lot of fun. And so I've just kind of made it a bit of a side hustle now where I interview businesses. Yeah. So they come into my studio. Paid promo. Yeah. So I call it like, I just, you know, uh, what I call it, um, uh, interview style advertising. You know, it's, there seems to be this, this thing now where people want to support businesses that they feel connected to. Oh, are you on my website? Oh, yeah. there we go. Um, so yeah, I got this thing. It's like a sort of a custom little boutique thing where, oh, that's my podcast. Is that kidcarsonshow.com? Kid, yeah, uh, just kidcarson.com. Kidcarson.com. And so, yeah, basically a business owner can come in. We hang out. We talk about 
all the cool stuff they're doing. And then I edit it up for them, grab some, you know, key points that I feel the audience will love. And then I give them the, the polished clips and they can post on their social media. And, uh, it lets, lets future clients or clients that they want to connect with sort of, um, build a bit of an intimate bond, you know? Cool. So if you're going to hire a real estate agent, you might want to go with the person that you actually heard an interview with and they sounded like a cool woman yeah. or a cool person. And totally. Yeah. So it's fun, man. Who, it's, yeah. Is that the type of people that have been doing it so far? Realtors? Um, no, I actually haven't had, I have one realtor that's about to do it. Um, we've had, uh, an author. Yeah. We've had a realtor. We've had, um, you know, brick and mortar businesses. We've, yeah, we've had a therapist. Really the therapy space seems to be a big one too, where they are sort of, you're dealing with someone. It's a bit of a more personal interaction and people want to be with someone they feel comfortable with. Yeah. So that's been really great. Yeah. And you can help them into yeah. a really good conversation where mm -hmm. listeners will feel like they, they know that person yeah. and are just more likely yeah. to call them and do business with them. Yeah. That's cool. And everyone's excited about the podcast space, but they don't know how to have a podcast or how to get it out there. So yeah, I take it, but as a podcast, put it out there and it kind of floats around the, the internet for people to find. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. And I'm it, also doing live events. Yeah. Tell me about which that. I never thought I would do, which is really fun. So it, they're sort of like uh, personal development events and it's sort of like for the, uh, what we call the awakened crowd. It's the crowd who sort of thinks that some weird stuff went on and you know, it's, it's not about that, but it's just that that's the crowd that it, it, it attracts. So a lot of these people that um, have big followings on Instagram and social media, I have them come and speak and it, they're sort of like growth seminars. Like, Hey, we've come out of a really weird time the last couple of years. It's easy to get caught up in the stuff. Let's, let's now move forward and make connections with other sort of like-minded people. Let's support you. This. Did you have one in Vancouver recently? Yeah. Yeah. Orpheum or, or in November, uh, November at the Paradox Hotel. Paradox Hotel. Yeah. That was our first one in November 5th doing next one in Toronto and then Calgary. And then we're coming back to, to, uh, uh, Vancouver again. It's great. Like these are really inspiring, like really successful. Like Corey George is the uh, president of Grant Cardone, Canada. Just an amazingly naturally gifted speaker and he massively successful. So when is the next one in Vancouver? Um, May 27th. And so what will happen yeah. for people interested in maybe attending? You come, we hang out. What do you mean hang out? Like how many people come? Uh, well, the, the first one we had like, I don't know, 120. That was the very first one. Um, just because the size of the so room. So you hang out or you're in a banquet room or? Yeah, we, we rent one of the big banquet rooms at the hotel. And at the time we could only get the room that was for a hundred people. So we squeezed an extra 20 in the back. And then um, the speakers go up, they each have half an hour. They just get the crowd pumped. It's, they give real practical advice. Like here's how to grow your business. Here's how to get your head right. Here's how to grow. Yeah. And um, so as the, as the events move on, we're attracting bigger names and, and more powerful speakers. It's been great. I've never done events before. It's like a totally weird new thing for me to be a part of. Does Allie help it's you awesome. with this? No. As soon as sure. I can afford her. <laughs> uh, Allie Armstrong would be top of my list. <laughs> AllieArmstrong.com. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, um, you should. She's the best. Yeah, so she really is. Is there a theme to it? Is it, is it business uh, minded or is it like COVID was fucked up and we believe in the paranormal and come talk about weird shit? No, it's not COVID at all. No, no, it's just, but there are a lot of people that show up that really felt affected. Yeah. Um, by that whole thing. Well, that's the majority of people. And, uh, yeah. Everyone's affected. Yeah. So, but it's not a, it's not a, 
So, I mean, if, if but you do know when you're there, if someone ta- wants to talk about COVID, no one's going to like be like, oh my God, what are you? it's just sort of, everyone's comfortable. Everyone's sort of on the same page, but it's about um, business, growing your business, how to do that. Do you, have you decided who the speakers will be in May? No, not yet. Not yet. So who are they? Corey about? George will be one of them. Okay. He's amazing. And what does he do? I don't, um, I don't know. Um, he's a president of a company called Yesa. So they, they train sales reps. He is the president of Grant Cardone Canada. Grant Cardone is like that billionaire in the States. He's like synonymous with sales training. And so he's the first, this is the first franchise outside of the States where there's a Grant Cardone kind of school or company. So yeah, he's, he's a really, that's the guy with the beard right there. Yeah. Uh, Corey George. He's amazing. So he's definitely one. Yeah. Grant Cardone is, he's the man when it comes to sales training. That's cool. You may have heard of the company 10, uh, 10X. That's his company. So yeah, there's some really some powerful things to learn. That's cool. And uh, yeah, yeah man, it's fun. It's cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a great business. Mm-hmm. It's just going to grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. And you do them in Toronto and Vancouver and, and yeah. wherever else, I guess. Yeah. That'll keep you busy. Yeah, what dude, it's like the live events, like the podcast, we got the interview style advertising interviews. Yeah. What else? I'm a dad. That yeah. keeps me busy the most of the time. <laughs> mm. But you're the best dad because you barely work. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you podcast once in a while? You just very do the involved. odd event every I'm couple of months. It's, it's great. I get to drop the kids off of school, pick them up from school. It's awesome. dad. No, it's I, a lot of I'm fun. Not, I'm half joking or not yeah. joking. I don't know what I'm doing, but it's, uh, you literally are. <laughs> I work too much and, uh, uh, I love my kids dearly. Yeah. Um, but I'm honestly envious of, uh, having more time to spend with them. Yeah. I had the best vacation ever over the, over the holiday break. Cause we were, uh, cruising in the Bahamas and it was just our family on the boat and, um, just having, just being with my family, like 24 seven waking mm-hmm. up, cruising to a different remote sort of Island or whatever. And, uh, just spending time was just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, but since being back of, I see them like so briefly in the morning and then so very briefly at night and it's just like groundhog day. And how old are they again? 12 and seven. 12 and seven. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, it is what it is. It's such a boring story. It's just like the classic, <laughs> uh, classic sort of struggle that all yeah. dads have. But I'm mm-hmm. honestly jealous of uh, mm-hmm. probably how engaged you are with your kids. Awesome. What are they into? Uh, my youngest son is um, just got into gaming, which is a battle. Yeah. Because, you know, he wants to be playing Fortnite and all that. And you're trying to manage the screen time and it's very difficult. Oh. Um, he wants to start a YouTube channel. I think, uh, yeah, these kids, man, they don't want to be astronauts and fighter pilots. They want to be... Content producers. They want to be content producers. That sounds absurd to older people, but it's yeah. a huge career yeah. path. And yeah. Loves Mr. Beast. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. He was a beast in business. Yeah. Yeah. Really was. Yeah. And, and, and my stepdaughter, Paris, who I met when she was four and a half, she's now 18. And, um, she works at a, a spin studio and loves the world of fitness. And she's a very hard worker and it's great, man. But it's amazing how fast four and a half to 18 goes. Yeah. It's crazy. Terrifying. So it really freaks me out when I look at my young boys because I'm like, man, this is going to fly by. Yeah. So you're right. I do really, I really appreciate the time with them. Yeah. It's so Really trying to be dialed into it. Totally. Yeah. And you'll get busier and busier and that'll get tougher and tougher, but uh, kind of a nice period. I think you look back on, on getting fired from the radio business is the best thing that ever happened. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not there yet. (laughs) No, no, it, it, it is great, but I, I, I would do radio again. 
Yeah. I would do. I'm not, I don't want to. Radio's I, over, man. I Why? know, I know it is. I know, but I'm like, it's like, it's it's like, like so that girl you loved in high school that you just I can't know. let it go. You got to let it go. I know. But I think that because I have so many other things going on now, I wouldn't treat radio. You love it. I see it in your face. I you wouldn't can't treat, stop smiling. Because I was only it. a radio guy before. And that was like my whole identity was radio. And I think it's healthy for if you want to do radio is to not make it your only thing. Yeah. You know? It's just make it a, a one of your gigs. Yes. You know, and yeah. I think that um, now they have outlets for some of my more stronger opinions. Yeah. You know, I don't have to go on the radio and be, I'm sorry, I'm not pitching myself for a job here. radio. <laughs> <laughs> They're far and few between, but I just want to, yeah. I mean, I, I was, you're right. I'm very passionate about radio. I do love yeah. it. And uh, you said you're spiritual. Yeah. So you must have, you know, thought about ego a lot. Most spiritual people do, and and my understanding of it certainly developed over the years. And part of what I've learned about it is that it's not what I thought it was when I was a kid, not how it was defined for me. It's not your opinion of yourself and generally used when it's too high. Mm-hmm. It is that partly, and but it's just so much more. That's not even half, not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I've learned that it's uh, it's the lens through which I see the world, and it's the stories that I tell myself to make myself feel a certain way about myself and about things and the world and all that. And I see it, you know, through some psychedelic experimentation and, and mm-hmm. journeys and stuff. And I've seen it physically and, and it affects um, everything, including the way I see the world now. So when I, I see you love and radio mm. and, and I also have to wonder um, just cause you mentioned being spiritual, whether, whether you've thought about that or done any work on that, where maybe it's your identity, like Kid Carson was such a massive brand and celebrity and it was all about radio. If, if really that's the part of it, that must be hard to let go. I mean, I've let go, but it was a very fun time, yeah. you know, and it just is fun. Yeah. Getting up in the middle of the night, doesn't matter what you did the night before you're up early. Yeah. What was that routine? Like what time did you have to get up? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'd be up at like three thirty, four o'clock and, uh, there, there's that discipline. There's that routine I lived with for so many years. There's the meeting with your co-hosts, you know, who have got to be special people. If you're going to see each other at four thirty AM, you've got to have a special relationship. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not the, it's, I mean, I've often thought about going back and in like into radio and like moving to another city and like changing my name, you know, it's just, really? so it's not about the, it's not hang on to Kid Carson, the radio guy. It's just the act of actual radio that I think is, that I really loved, you know? That's cool. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just going back to what you said a minute ago about the ego and it's funny how we all have different stories or a narrative about who we are and what our story is and how that can sometimes change from, from day to day. Like sometimes I can have the story that I was this radio guy and I got fired and all this stuff. And then another story is, uh, you know, Oh, I was this young kid who was, you know, running around and being all crazy. And then like discovered I was a spiritual being of a human experience. And, you know, it got and settled down and had a family. Like we have all these sort of different, there's maybe five different versions of my head. If I was trying to conjure up the story of my life, you know, what the book would be or what the great adventure is. Um, that's a fun thing to contemplate you know, who you are when it comes to the ego and it and, is, uh, yeah. It's so what it, kind of psychedelics were you on? Uh, then ayahuasca, you know, mm. 10 or 12 times, maybe, um, wow. five MEO DMT was a intense experience. Yeah. Um, acid, yeah. um, you know, the sort of the usual, certainly mushrooms, mm-hmm. um, 
might be on mushrooms right now. Right. Can't <laughs> say. I'm on microdose. <laughs> or macrodose. <laughs> no, no, I'll just micro. Yeah. Just I'm do. a big fan of microdosing. Are you? Uh, mushrooms, yeah. Do you do it regularly? Yeah. Yep. That's a kind of a new thing in the last six months to a yeah. year. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, a lot of people love it. Mm-hmm. It's great. And I'm still learning about it. You know, what's... Um, what's right, what works best, you know, and all that kind of thing. And it's just such an exciting space. There's so much change in it. Yeah. But I use the psychedelics with, um, I want people to know this, but you know, there's, there's so much interest in it. You know, it's like the thing, (laughs) there's this joke about, uh, you can tell if someone's done, Oh no, you don't need to know. The joke goes like this. I screwed it up already. Uh, the joke goes like this. I'm not, I'm not good at telling jokes. You don't need to wonder if someone has done ayahuasca or not, because they'll tell you. Right. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. There's a lot of that. But I do want people to know that there is um, there's good and bad. There's a lot of sort of like tourism based, uh, probably risky situations. Certainly been a few horror stories with that. Uh, it's very dangerous for anybody who's uh, on any kind of um, medication. Um, you have to be very careful. And there's also some culty kind of circles you get into real sort of like secret private type of stuff where you interview to get in and, and you, um, potentially, you know, get convinced of things that, um, you know, probably anyway, it's just, it can get into a kind of a weird kind of culty situation. We'll talk about that off air. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but I use a professional facilitator. And mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to go in my personal experience. Somebody right. who's been doing it for decades, who uses only um, the best pharmaceutical grade stuff. And uh, so there's no, none of the sort of risk that might come with a pretender, someone who's, you know, 27 and thinks they're spiritual and, and mm-hmm. is now decided that they're going to be a psychedelic therapist, that kind of thing. I, I think that's very risky for people. So I'm happy to share that I, that I do it and I use it with profound results. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just also want to share the the way that I think is the best. Yeah. I've never used ayahuasca. It's on my bucket list, but, uh, I have had one DMT experience. I'm not sure if it's a DMT you mentioned. You, you mentioned this, uh, five MEO DMT. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't tried that, but I hear that's like the next level up. Yeah. They call it the God uh, particle. Yeah. It is, yeah. It is wild. You know, there's two ways you kind of like, snort it or smoke it. And it's two very different experiences. When you take it up, um, your nasal passages, it's, it's more chill. You know, you, you see things differently. I had a really good experience. I went into it with intention around finding a place I could get back to through meditation. I was trying to get better at meditation and that's not what happened at all. Mm -hmm. I had, uh, um, you know, I saw my whole life differently as frankly a fraud. And I shared that that those feelings and thoughts with my wife over coffee the next morning and it profoundly changed our relationship Mm. and improved it because I was so open and honest about some of the fraudulent thoughts I had about myself and, and decisions I'd made in the past and things like that. It was awesome. Mm. Um, and then there's, uh, you smoke it and that experience is like death. It's, I think I've died and, and I have no fear of death because I've already been through it. Yeah. And I, I don't even have the words to describe what that feels like. You know, it's stupid, but I, I would say like, do you remember in the matrix when that thing was unplugged from the back of the skull and it was like, yeah. Look, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's what it felt like. And it was just so instantaneous. And, and what you 
feel, see, see, hear, taste, and all that kind of stuff is uh, probably what death is. And it was good in that it was completely unique experience and, and it sort of leaves you a changed person and, and less fearful. Yeah. That was, that was my experience at DMT as well. The death. Yeah. It was like, uh, oh my God, I, th- I thought I had died. And I thought, oh my God, as I'm having this experience, I thought, oh my God, I've become another statistic. And my family is going to, you know, be, get the phone call. Yeah. Your, 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 your dad, your husband has died of an overdose. Cause I just, I'd never done it before and I only ever did it once. And, and, um, it was like, I was suddenly just blasted off into like, uh, my God, we're living in a supercomputer. I was looking around at 5d shapes that I couldn't even describe. And I could see thoughts being formed. Yeah. I saw those shapes too. Oh my God. I remember, did, did you see any little tiny macaroni shapes? Not macaroni. No, no. God, I'm the only one who's seen these damn shapes. It was like, but I would think something and then I would see it form like in these yeah. geometrical shapes. And I thought, Oh my God, am I watching manifestation? Is this like the root of manifestation in like the 5d? It was, Oh man, it was, it was crazy. And yeah. then, and it was almost like a 4k, 8k. I don't know. And then when I came to, um, it was like, this world seems like a VHS cassette tape. And I was just in the world of 8k, which made me feel like that's the real. And this is the, what a lot of great philosophers call the great illusion. Like we are actually living in the illusion Yeah. and this is the video game. Yeah. Anyways, dude, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You brought it all back to me when you described it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's how it starts. Yeah. But it's true. When you have that experience, when you see things, you know, it does change the way you see everything else forever. Mm-hmm. And you, you talked earlier about having, you know, loving radio and the sort of collective consciousness of that and, and that kind of thing. And it, it's definitely all of that. You definitely understand, um, you know, we are all completely made of energy. You know, these are just, just molecules like circling each other, all energetic and just being held together. And, and it's hard for people to understand that have an experience that I sound like an idiot, but it's just, it just shatters all that. And you see, everything differently for what it is. And it's, um, it changes you. Yeah. But the psychedelic therapy part is different. You know, that, um, the five MEO DMT and all that kind of stuff is, um, and even the ayahuasca is like a sort of a roller coaster. It's a real memorable experience. And and there are great experiences and takeaways from that. But psychedelic therapy is actually kind of different. It is like traditional therapy in that you have a therapist that you talk with about, um, you know, the work that you want to do, you know, what some of the things you're thinking about are and, and, uh, and what you want to accomplish. Um, and then through understanding your goals and and getting to know you better, uh, they design, um, the right chemistry for the right experience. Like Mm. for example, uh, one of my plans was, around kind of family issues and, um, they, you know, the, the, the right start was basically, um, an MDMA sort of heavy experience because it's very, it's like the love drug, right? It's mm-hmm. very, uh, it opens you up emotionally and, and in a combination with some other things, um, you know, it, it's like, it's not a roller coaster. It's like, a, it's a journey that has a beginning, a middle and then an end with like, you know, maybe the end is like CB2 
or two CB, sorry. And then like a marijuana finisher or something like that. Mm. It sounds strange. It sounds like mm. almost nonsense to people, but uh, to these therapists that really understand what's happening with all this stuff, it takes you on this amazing path where for me, I had completely suppressed memories that, that I remembered and I, I didn't even believe in, in suppressed memories until then. And, and when I remembered what actually happened as clear as day, like I'm watching it in a movie, mm. um, it changed everything for me. It changed the, the stories I've been telling myself about, uh, some of the things that happened to me in my life. And, and, um, and I learned a lot about what I said earlier about ego, about how it's something that you use to, it protects you. And it also beats the shit out of you too. Hmm. So it was very, I, w I wouldn't change it for the world and I'll do it again, you know, when I'm ready. Um, but I think when, when somebody has a healthy perspective on to do it or not, and they're not doing it so they can talk about it or to be cool. Like when it's for real and personal reasons, you, in my experience, you kind of, and I say that from the other experience too, because sometimes doing ayahuasca is cool and it's fun to tell people about, you dress up in white and lay down and you have a story to tell. Um, but that therapy stuff's pretty intense, you know, you do it for the right reasons. You come out of it with, um, an audio recording of maybe a six hour session and wow. li yeah, listening to that is just wild. So you listen back to yourself. You listen to yourself. Yeah. She would, might record you with your own phone and then you listen to it the next day and you'll go back and talk with her and, and you'll journal as you listen to what you're saying. And, and it's a bizarre experience to hear yourself um, remembering these things. And Are you talking like, or just Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're like, it's a therapist is sitting with you the whole time. Mm. And so, uh, and she knows what you want to talk about or what you're thinking about or working on. And so uh, she'll prompt you and, and ask you questions. And, and, and then, but in my experience, you know, the, I took the lead uh, pretty quickly. It's kind of amazing how these memories started flooding back. It's like therapy is great. Regular therapy is great. Um, it's just so slow. You know, you might spend a thousand hours talking with someone uh, to try to get to where you can get in 15 minutes, you know, using psychedelics wow. because it just chemically, just like the ego just drops like a curtain and then you just see everything for what it is. And, and then the not verbal diarrhea, but this sort of like coherent but long thought stream starts coming out and then the, the next layer falls away. And then you remember that and understand why that happened. And it's so funny to me that you can, that your brain can turn that stuff off just to protect you from it, mm. you know, cause you can't handle it. I've heard of couples who have used this in marriage counseling. Yeah. And it was described to me by one woman, by one woman who spoke to me and said, it's almost like just scraping off all the sludge that builds up, builds up over years. And you just got a fresh, clean slate as if you're dating again. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Where do I get this shit? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really, I can hook you up. Yeah. Um, but you do have to be careful. There's yeah. just so much fentanyl and bad stuff out there. It's, uh, you have to be 100% careful. I've heard, a, you know, there's this, there's a story about a couple in North Vancouver where I live that, uh, on a date night just did some blow and both died. You know, the kids were with the in-laws and it's just the saddest thing. In the I world. remember like, that story. Yeah. I can never forget that. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, left me just 100% careful mm. and it's, uh, but it's, it is that we haven't, I haven't done therapy with my wife with it, but we've, um, you know, microdosed LSD on a date night and it's been amazing. Hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's so 
amazing to see somebody that you've been with for so long through fresh eyes. Mm. It's the best feeling. Yeah. I've never tried LSD. That sounds interesting. Some microdose. That yeah. seems to be the thing. That seems to be the up and coming bubbly, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I see it now on websites, microdosing LSD, people talking about it. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, it's kind of new, but it's, uh, it's great. I don't think I'd want to do it every day. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it's definitely, I don't know. I get, I feel a little bit uncomfortable like talking about how it's becoming trendy or whatever. Cause I don't want to talk about it. I don't want it to flare up my ego and, and try to sound like cool because I've done it or I know about it. Um, I think it's very personal and uh, it doesn't change the way you act. It doesn't make you act any cooler. It just lets you kind of see things more clearly and um, remember things better mm -hmm. and uh, perhaps even express yourself more purely. And that's mm. probably the best part. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. I, I think you would like the, the ayahuasca experience. I just say that because you mentioned you're interested and in, uh, there is a lot of community with it and it's not all bad. I, I throw out some warnings because I feel like that's part of it. Um, you know, it's just the prudent thing to do, but there is, there is a great community and the experience is great. It's natural. Um, it is, uh, there's open sharing afterwards, which is really nice. Um, it's the friendships you make in it, this experience, this journey that you take together. It's like any intense experience you have with people, you're bonded after. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you would like all that based on, you know, how much I know you like people, yeah. you know, teams and that kind of thing. What's your overall 50,000 foot takeaway of what all this is after having had all these kind of spiritual experiences and what do you mean all this the world yeah like what are we living in some kind of matrix or like what do you oh here we go yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had to ask man huh? business I mean, crumbling on, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do you think this is um it is i think about it a lot hmm. uh i think of it a lot like um not too seriously like i don't want to say a game because that's probably not the right word and it might diminish what it really is um, but I do think that we, and I say we, like most people take themselves, uh, way too seriously, um, and get caught up in the sort of whirlwind and the busyness of life, which is pretty much what they've been told it's supposed to be. You know, we're like mice in a wheel. We're like those meat sacks plugged in in the matrix you know this is these are the things i believe about um this world we're in and and sort of like um what else might be going on there's like the thought that we are the only people in the universe you know once you like do the very simple math on on how many you know solar systems there are and galaxies and and that math is just exponentially almost incomprehensible um so to think that we're the only ones and that we're truly unique and we just happen to be the tip of the spear of evolution of any kind is just absurd, right? Well, obviously mm -hmm. we're not. So therefore, if we're not, um, what are we? Are we a Petri dish for some, you know, alien life form? Um, very likely, you know, frankly, it's just very possible. <laughs> and uh, I don't like thinking that. It seems like, you know, if that's the case, then... And you think about the immensity of the, the scale of how, how small things can get and how big things can get and where we fit on that spectrum. 
it makes me feel like we're just a parasite, you know, just sort of using up this asset in the earth and even the earth is tiny in the grand scheme. Mm-hmm. But back to the alien thing or the sort of like, are we the only ones out there type of concept? We're definitely not. And this, this idea that there's little green men and ships coming here. I don't believe that. Um, I think it's absurd to think that, that the meat sacks would be transferred here and steel discs or something like that. Mm. Um, we're already probably in our lifetimes going to see our consciousness, you know, uploaded, stored, expanded digitally. So if we're already, and we're like monkeys, right? So if we're already so close to being able to do that, why wouldn't that have happened, you know, Mm. already so long ago? And it's such a bigger level that we can't even probably comprehend what it is. Mm. Have you seen Altered Carbon? The sh- the movie the show the show on Netflix yeah yeah season one yeah yeah I love that yeah I love that too. <laughs> <laughs> and your con your consciousness on a whatever that puck and then they yeah. transfer it to another sleeve yeah their body yeah it's pretty cool yeah that's yeah. that's like we were talking about before that's another good show I should watch again mm. forget stuff and they can re enjoy it right, yeah right I think I watched the second yeah. season of that it wasn't as good yeah. I agree. Yeah. Like I didn't get past second episode of season two. Really? But the first season was great. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Plus I love that actor. So good. Anyway, that's what I think about yeah. that. Yeah. We're not alone. Um, are we a Petri dish? Are we an experiment? Uh, and then you get into all that like existentialist or the philosophy of like, you know, that none of you exist when you leave the room and this is just my perception. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is possible. But uh, again, it like part of like not taking ourselves too seriously is is not thinking about that stuff too much, you know, like I just try to like enjoy life and, and enjoy how I spend my time and, and, uh, accomplish what I want to accomplish and design a great day or a great week or a great life. Mm. Um, and I'm definitely not the one that's going to figure all that out. So I try not to lose my mind thinking about it. Mm. What do you think about it? Well, it's good to not know. Yeah. As soon as you think, you know, then give me a break yeah because no one does no yeah yeah it's funny it's funny you started with the word game because i often describe it like a video game i feel like it's almost like a video game man like when you play a video game there are certain laws that you have to follow and and that's like we have our own laws of physics and different you know there's boundaries but yeah i do think we're spiritual beings having a human experience and and uh yeah i I kind of look at like, like some kind of matrix like when i did have that dmt experience i was looking around and I'm like, okay, this is like, this is, there is some great architect to this. That's right. And I don't know what that is. Some people call it God. You might call it source. You might call it, you know, all these, I'm not like a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm open to like whatever. Cause yeah, like you said, like who knows? But, um, I do feel like this is, uh, designed in some way, whether it's, uh, some kind of matrix or I don't know. But that's kind of what I think. Yeah, you know. But I'm I I love the I love the subject. Oh, I do. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. I like yeah. it too. I just try not to think or talk about it too right. much, <laughs> just because uh, you know it's like I enjoy my YouTube rabbit holes for sure. But I you know that whole I just don't want to lose my mind. You yeah. Know? So, and it's also I don't know. It's so like you mentioned the Matrix a couple times. It it just seems I feel like an idiot. Just saying, our, uh, we're like that, you know, that movie we saw, it's like that, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's something to that story um, that it's one of those movies that becomes seemingly more true over time. It's a very old movie now. I think it's 22 years old, something crazy like that. Um, 
but it is, it's got some teeth like that one is that story is there's something there that just won't go away. Yeah. That is real. But so is the movie Idiocracy. And that is like, have you seen that? Mike Judge? No, no, no. it's, you got to watch that. Uh, that movie is so funny um, because it is just absurd um, in their prediction of this world where, uh, you know, this former professional wrestler is now president. And again, this is another 20 plus year old. Mm. Um, and the people became so stupid that they forgot about water and started like spraying Gatorade on all of the crops because, you know, the Gatorade companies said yeah. that they should. And, and that's the president there. And wow. they went to, uh, you know, everyone goes to university at Costco and like, it's got all these like absurd concepts in it that are not so absurd anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Or it's like, it was like when it came out 20 years ago, it was just like so ridiculous. It wasn't even a popular movie. And every five years it gets like oh, wow. more popular because it becomes like less crazy. It reminds me of what you're describing. Did you see that? Was it Volkswagen that came out with that new office chair that no, you I can drive around in? And it goes, it, it clocks a good, <laughs> I forget, like it goes. What? And it's a big chair. It's an office chair and you can drive it around. Like like a full. What do you mean? Outside of your office? Well, no, around your office, not down the street. Yeah. But um, there, yeah, there it is. Oh, wow, this guy's good. It's like Jamie from the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Yeah, but that's it. And um, and then someone had a meme with that. With that, um, so it's got headlights, regular office wheels. And instead of walking to the bathroom, you ride on that thing. Right. You just ride around. You never have to get out of your seat. But and why? It's, and it's just like that. What's that cartoon? I don't know if it's a Pixar or what's yes. that movie? Uh, I know the one. I don't. I'm not going to remember the name. But the one of the little white robot. Yeah. The one. It's a people start. Wally. Yeah, Wally. Is that it, Wally? Yes. Yeah. See the fat guy in the bottom left there? Yeah. He's so, sitting in a chair that flies around and people forget that they need to walk or, or could yeah. even walk everyone's places. Everyone's obese and yeah. everyone's in one of those chairs driving around. Yeah. And so <laughs> can, you can make uh, some comparisons to what you just described with idiocracy oh. and that, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we're all just eventually in our self-driving chairs. <laughs> oh. Why walk? <laughs> I went to Silicon Valley and got to meet like kind of like the 10 experts in all of the forward looking kind of technologies in the world from, you know, medical to space to everything. Right. And it was, uh, I spent days and not me personally, it was like a thing I attended mm -hmm. and, and I came out of it thinking that, um, it was mind blowing, uh, where we're headed. And also I think the people that make these movies go to this and talk to these same people, mm. Uh, you know, Kurzweil and some of these people that are futurists and also technologists. And, and I think they've been doing that for a long time. You know, I think the people that uh, Gene Roddenberry from Star Trek and all these type of people, I think they, they do that. They talk to these people, they see where we're headed. They write stories about that. And then that rings true for people and makes their shows and movies and stories more popular because for on some level, we believe it's possible. Therefore making the story better when the story is impossible and unrealistic. It's just not as good, right? And there's some power to that collective consciousness. If you grew up seeing something and then when you finally do see it, it's like you're almost excited like you want it. Yeah. It's already seated in you to like, I yeah. want my chair that drives around, <laughs> <Yeah>. please. <laughs> you know? Where's our flying cars? That was a thing when I was a kid. Well, they have the drones now. 
the flying the personal like, drones, flying yeah. Uber drones yeah. in China, I think. They're like little mini, like your own personal, like almost like a helicopter, but it's a drone. Yeah. I mean, that's cra- it's crazy, man. And you don't even have to know how to fly one of them. You just jump in, punch totally. the address like Uber, and it just flies you to the next building. I know, man. Get me my robot body already. I want to be around <laughs> to see all this stuff. You know? Do you? If you had the choice, would you live forever? Carbon? Would you uh, upload your consciousness into a robot and just keep on going? No, I don't think so. I think I get a little woo-woo with that stuff. I think you sort of maybe lose your soul with that, you know? I think that maybe if we really want to go down one of the rabbit holes, <laughs> I think that there's something bad about uploading your body into, or uploading your consciousness into the robot. I think you lose your soul. And maybe that's a trap that, I don't know, whoever, the evil powers who are behind the black curtain are sort of, um, cornering us into. I know that sounds really crazy. This is like when you're going to smoke a joint with a buddy. They really go down there like, dude. Coincidentally. The wizard. You know? Coincidentally, that was uh, that was the nature of my very first ayahuasca experience. Mm. I had the same thought that you have. And um, I was shown by what they call the divine mother um, that technology is nothing to be afraid of. That, that is, it is actually evolution. Hmm. that we will transcend these meat sacks that we're in right now um, that we already have in some way, like that we enter this physical world and then we leave it after a hundred years or whatever. Hmm. Um, but the technology is nothing to be afraid of that. We will transcend this that we're in right now and it's going to be amazing. And it was a really freeing sort of thought and uh, I feel better for it. Interesting. But with oh. the Elon Musk brain chips, yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> I definitely won't be first in line. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it makes me feel old, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I'm a tech person and always have been. And I've, I see myself as, um, and again, it's my ego talking, but I see myself as progressive and, and leading edge and sort of that kind of thing. And I've always been that way until lately with things like that. And I remember my grandpa telling me, um, that he was too old. He wasn't going to have to learn computers, you know, that he was mm-hmm. retired. He was old enough. He's like, I don't understand those things. I don't need to, I'm not going to I have no interest. And I thought he was, I thought it was silly, right? right? Silly old man kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, until that, until you say that, like, I think the, the chips will be popular, but not with me. Cause I won't need it. You know, they're going to be popular with people that want to, quadruple their memory and their ability to uh, add value that can get them paid and, and improve their career so that they can change their family situation. And these are the people that probably that's the sort of fat part of the curve that will adopt that technology. But, mm-hmm. but people like me, I just don't need to, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, I probably don't need to take the risk. I don't know why I would at this stage. I don't know enough about it to see a valid reason for taking the risk. Imagine you're 70 or 80 and you really slowed down and they say, you want to think like a 22 year old again? Boom. That's where you're right. You got me. I'm in. That's where, (laughs) where's that form? Totally. (laughs) I'm in, I get it. I'm totally sold. Well, the crazy thing is when, you know, people start giving it to their kids. It's like, you know, instead of um, your kid going to a special private school, now it's if you have the money to buy the chip for your kid and now your kid can 
learn an entire, you know, university degree in, in, in two minutes. Yeah. Almost like the matrix back yeah. to the Kung Fu thing. Then it's going to be like, damn, now am I, am I going to let my kid be at a disadvantage? You're not. We're already the, giving uh, our kids cell phones. My 12 year old has, has a cell phone. Yeah. Does your nine year old? Uh, no, not yet. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, what's the age now? I'll probably get a seat. A year younger every two years. He or wanted something. one for Christmas. I'm like, yeah, it's too soon. Dude, give me a break. Yeah. But yeah. 12, I think, is pretty common yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but the algorithms, that's what I think about when I think of the brain chips. You know, <laughs> when you think of you're on a cell phone, the algorithms controlling what you're viewing. Yeah. You know, now the algorithm's going to be in there kind of sorting through your own thoughts. That's what freaks me out. Well, yeah, that's freaky. And you got the 1984 thought police right in there <laughs> tracking what you're thinking about. I'm like, damn. It's not even private anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just look up. What did you think about five minutes ago? Oh, oh it's in your yeah. record. It's some, you know, it's some black mirror yeah. type stuff. <laughs> totally. Right? Again, back to these people creating these these amazing yeah. stories and where they get them from. It's yeah. the, from people talking about putting chips in brains. And right. Stuff. There you go. I remember my favorite Black Mirror episode was um, the one where uh, everyone is rated all of the time. Mm. You know, do you remember that one? Where oh yeah, it's a great one. Um, do you know what Black Mirror is? I just picked up my phone as I was talking to you. It's, do I know where it is? Do you know what it actually is? Like what the word means? No, Black Mirror, no, I don't. It's, I don't know, most people don't. And I've got the iPhone 14, so it's like the worst example in the world because the screen is always on, but that's it. Imagine this is not the iPhone 14. This is a regular one. Okay. That black screen, your phone screen is the Black Mirror. That's, that's what it's talking about. And what's the meaning of that? That's nothing. It's just, a, it's just hmm. like, it's about... Where I guess I started with this thought, which is the chip in the brain, we're already headed down that path. Like this thing is permanent. I'm sitting here with you right now and it's like, it's in my hand. It's permanent. Your phone there. has a strap on it. Yeah. That's I mean, how committed I am to it. It goes around your wrist. If you drop it, it's attached to you. I have a case you could drop off the top of a building and I also have a strap. Um, it's also insured. I don't know. It's so stupid. But anyways, uh, the black mirror is just like another term for a screen, but and when it shut off, it's, yeah. it's the reference to the phone and how attached we are to it. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, there you go. It's the, it's, uh, the Netflix original series, black mirror created by Charlie Brooker was named after the ominous reflection that peers back at an individual from a blank screen. Mm. So it is the phone in the blank black screen, but it's also what you see in it, which is your stupid face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like people's, and I, when I say people, I mean mine, you ever yeah. seen people when they're just, nobody's looking and they're just doing their texting face. It's yeah. like, it's really bad. <laughs> Um, but we're already halfway there with this thing. This yeah. thing is permanently attached. We're already giving it to our kids. It's already an advantage. My kid's dyslexic and he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't need to type anything. He doesn't need to spell. He just, he's no one's better than him at talking to his phone and getting what he needs out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this kind of like give your kid an advantage or the sort of, I don't know, people are going to learn languages when they don't really need to anymore, when their phone can just help them so easily yeah. uh, translate with or communicate with somebody. It's pretty wild stuff, man. It's changing everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw a, like Nokia. Remember Nokia? Yeah, Nokia. Yeah. That used to be like the, the first big popular phone when we were young. When phones and needed to be small to be cool. Right, it was exactly. the smallest. I guess that company still exists. I think it was that company and he spoke at a conference last year. And uh, he said in a couple of years, the actual handheld phone will be obsolete. That it will be, you should look this up. It'll just be in our bodies. In our bodies? In That's our, what Nokia In said? our bodies. They said yeah. the phone technology will be just built into our bodies. And this is a, 
I'm st- I don't, I don't know how you would find that. <laughs> I'm not sure how you'd look that up. But I watched the speech on stage and I was like, oh my God, this is insane. Well, this watch but, I'm wearing is, it's kind of like the next step. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it does most of what this does. I can even pay for stuff and it's supposedly the latest and it's attached to my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got it, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just not have my phone with me as much. Never happened once. <laughs> never have I even walked down just like another through, black screen. Yeah. It's black exactly. Mirror. I've never even left my phone in my office just to walk to a coffee shop or anything like yeah. that. Cause it's just, I need it. I don't know. I just, it's just so part of me. The last time I dropped off my phone to get the screen fixed at uh, the Apple store, when you leave the Apple store with no phone, how'd it feel? Oh, it felt amazing. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Really felt amazing. Yeah. I like being off grid. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that feels like off grid, right? <laughs> it is. We walk away from our phones. Well, I was off grid in the Bahamas yeah. and I go into the bush off grid. Yeah. Um, but isn't it interesting that that feeling, how good that was. And, and maybe there's a, an opportunity for like a new form of like vacation where you're actually physically not even leaving anywhere, but you're just disconnecting completely and maybe still in the city even, but you're disconnected from all your socials, all your communication, everything. And, and that becomes like a really impactful part of it. Mm-hmm. I almost bought one of those dumb phones. I've heard of this. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, doesn't do anything but make phone calls. Yeah. Why? It's the same shape as an iPhone. You say almost, you didn't go. I almost it. did. Yeah. I almost did. Actually, I think I was going to, and they're like, a new version coming in six months. And I went, I'll wait. I want the newest dumb phone. <laughs> that seems ironic. Is it getting... I know, of course it's ironic. It makes no sense. Are they oh, adding... the latest and greatest dumb phone. Yeah, is it dumber? Yeah, I guess, one? yeah. I think it came in white, and I'm like, I want the white one. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. A simpler time. Yeah, there they are. I was the first person I knew with a cell phone, because I was at the University of Victoria creating a sort of a sponsorship program for like a U.S. style, like athletic sponsorship program for the university while I was still there. And one of the sponsors was a cell phone company. Um, and so as part of the deal, I got myself a cell phone and uh, it was, we're talking like early nineties and it was, it was a game changer. It was a dumb phone for sure. All it did was, I don't even think it texted, it just phoned people, but um, it was awesome. Hmm. And uh and I've just never gone back. It's like a drug. My but, grandfather had a car phone. Yeah. With that a, was like just like, insane. Like attached to his car with yeah. a coily. Yeah. And it was like before even cell phones, but it was like the craziest thing. Why? What did he do? He was like in real estate. Yeah. And a uh, successful guy and he had his big, long old man Lincoln. Yeah. With a car phone right yeah. in the front on a little, <laughs> yeah. you know, bracket. It was like the craziest thing to, to get in you know, Papa's car and yeah. can I phone someone and, you know, we'll do it, but yeah. keep it short. It's yeah, exactly. $25 a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I was the first um, kid in my school with a pager even before phones were a thing. Drug dealer. Everyone thought I was a drug dealer. Yeah. yeah. You weren't a I doctor. That. I'm like, I went to a new school and I had this pager and I'm like, why does no one want to be my friend? <laughs> <laughs> or everyone. Yeah. Everyone thinks you're a drug dealer. Oh, okay. Why'd you have it? Anyways, I I moved out on my 17th birthday. I moved out and I moved to another town because I was 17. I knew everything. I didn't want to live at home anymore. And so I got a pager so that I felt like my family could get a hold of me in an emergency. Yeah. And so I wore this thing. It was very innocent. I wasn't trying to be cool. Yeah. And sure enough, went to a new school and everyone thought I was a. Yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was the first person I knew with a iPhone. 
bought it in oh, the yeah? U.S. Had to take it to some random in Surrey to get it cracked so it would work wow. here. And everyone, all my friends thought it was stupid. Right. You know, no buttons. Like it was hard to type on. Crazy. It was never going to work because, uh, um, you know, you know, they would have like typing races with me to send a text message yeah. or something. And they'd beat me every time. They're all their Blackberries. Yeah. And there were no good apps and stuff then. So yeah. it was a, it was a uh, legit argument, but wow. yeah. The thrill of having the latest tech though, right? It's gone away. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know why I think Apple's just become such a massive company that there's such little value in the newest and the latest version of the watch or the phone or the iPad or whatever. It's just so similar to the last that, um, yeah, I happen to have the latest, but it's, mm -hmm. um, it's not very satisfying. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not like it used to be. When the first iPad came out, I took the day off of work yeah. and I stayed at home waiting for FedEx to deliver that's hardcore. Because you couldn't even get it from the Apple store. I don't think there was Apple stores. I don't even remember. At that point. I don't think I was first and on that It came one. in the mail and I was almost sick with excitement to get the <laughs> yeah. iPad one. Why? What did you want? What did you like about it? I just thought, oh my God, I can, I don't know. Yeah. Just cool. I can hold it. It was new. Walked from my room to the kitchen. Oh my God. It was enough to get me nauseous with excitement. It was in between yeah. the computer and the phone, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it was totally new. Yeah. I'm surprised it survived actually. Cause it is like, it is in a middle ground. It's sort of awkward. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the most useful thing in the world. They're quite powerful now, but um, it doesn't feel like it could totally replace a laptop and certainly doesn't mm -hmm. replace a phone. So there it sits yeah. in the middle, yeah. kind of like a nice to have, not a need to have. My, I play tic-tac-toe on it with my son. That's about it. I play backgammon on it. Yeah, right. Nice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love backgammon. It's retro. Anyways, this has been great, man. Dude, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, let's play some backgammon. I'm sure I have some. Yeah, uh, I have a board over there. Uh, it's been nice sitting on this um, This for, I wish, I wish you should do video podcasts because people would love to see this beautiful leather couch and this rug I'm sitting on. Yeah. Well, we are capturing an image of you here. Oh, good. Which we'll share. Oh, I'm being That's... secretly filmed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's very waiver signed. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh, but anyway, we're just using it to capture an image. So you'll awesome. get it. And you do look good on that, on that bare skin. Don't this take is, that uh, the wrong way. Well, coming from a, you know, radio, we're always in like a studio. Um, this is very chill and cash. This is nice. Cool. Yeah. Glad you like it. I'd like to have it here. I'm going to redo my whole thing at Paradox. <laughs> Spread it out. <laughs> anyway, let's do it again soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.